Good evening and welcome to the 2021 Western Pennsylvania School for Blind Children PCB Virtual Convention. And this is our banquet presentation. Tonight, I have the honor, I am Sue Lickenfels, immediate past president. Tonight, I have the honor to thank uh, many of the sponsors and individuals who have contributed to um, this year's convention to make it the success that it's been. And so let me um, begin with that. We would like to thank Tech Owl, the Western Pennsylvania School for Blind Children, Democracy Live, GTCB, Vanda Pharmaceuticals, the Bureau of Engraving and Printing, Envision America, the Hank Bloomberg Chapter, Philadelphia Regional Chapter, Sites for Hope, Washington County Council of the Blind, Keystone Chapter, the Lehigh Valley Council of the Blind, the York County Chapter, the ACB media team, including Rick and Doug and all of those fabulous hosts that have helped out with our um, Zoom presentations. Audio Description Associates, Netflix, Stuff Puffed Marshmallows. I also want to take an opportunity to thank the members of the conference program and planning team who put together a great schedule of events for the weekend. It was a pleasure serving and leading you. We also need to thank the board of PCB and all of the other teams who have coordinated presentations and shared their knowledge. This weekend has been a great success. We've had speakers from Canada, India, New Zealand, soon to be from New Zealand, and the United States, from Florida, Colorado, New York, Virginia, and California. We've been able to do this because we are having a virtual convention, and it's been my pleasure to coordinate that with all of these other individuals. We've served in our attendees 153 individuals. Together we have certainly proved that the way to strengthen community is through unity. And now um, we're gonna move into our portion of the program where we announce our winners for our 50-50 drawing. This was a $5 ticket that you would have purchased um, probably on your registration form. So we brought in $1,310, which means um, this is a, uh, a, a raffle that we give away half of the money, so $655. We do ours by having the first prize winner take 25% of the remaining 50. Second prize is 30%. Am I doing that? Michael Zakin, am I doing this right? 
anyway, he will tell us. Um, so anyway, it's split among three people. And our third prize winner from the 50-50 raffle is Roberta Simmons. Second prize is Debbie Hill. And third prize, I'm sorry, first prize is Bob Shingleton. So congratulations to all of those individuals. And I thank all of you for your support. Um, this fund is used to provide subsidies for our rooms when we meet in person. Our room, this is called our room rate fund. So thank you all. We have another award to give, and that is for our individual who referred a friend. We had over 20 people who were referred to our convention by other individuals in our organization. And we put them all those names into a hat. And the person um, who referred an individual that's going to win a $50 gift card to Amazon is Lynn Shields. Thank you, Lynn. And I thank all of you who referred your friends to join us this weekend. Now coming up, we have Suzanne Erb from our peer engagement team, and she is going to present um, our merit award. Suzanne? Thank you so much, Sue. Uh, it really gives me great pleasure this evening to award our merit award to a student, a very, very des deserving student. Um, this year, the Pennsylvania Council of the Blind presents a merit award to a blind or visually impaired post-secondary student who demonstrates a high level of academic achievement coupled with the potential for future leadership in our community. This year, our award winner, John Stevens, from Ardmore, Pennsylvania, exemplifies both of these qualities. He's attending Eastern University, and his application says in part, my major is computer science with a minor in leadership, and I'm exploring a double major in business. In my free time, I like to run, hike, rock climb, and read. I am an intern at Overbrook School for the Blind, where I work on the database and website for the development and communications department. I also work at the local SNAP fitness gym. My hobbies are repairing gadgets, backward engineering, obsolete media for data recovery, and designing hardware and software. I have previously participated in the Psi-Axis Zenith Mentorship Program through Ohio State University and the Ohio School for the Blind. I am a leadership fellow at Eastern University where I will continue to develop and grow my skills as a leader. 
And a letter from of, re of reference states in part, JT demonstrates an unbridled passion for learning and shows a natural aptitude for computer science, which he plans to pursue in college. As an educator, I have great respect for JT and truly believe that he is a deserving candidate for this award. JT is an outstanding student, leader, and volunteer. He will be an out outstanding um, representative for your organization. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my pleasure to present this award to John T. Stevens. JT, are you in the house? Yes, I am. I'm honored to be the recipient of the PCB Merit Award. Um, and I actually entered Eastern with nearly a full year of dual enrollment credits, which is what has allowed me to pursue my computer science major while doing a second double major in business administration. I am looking into a minor in data science or in leadership. And I was working at those places mentioned. However, I'm not right now just because college comes first. <laughs> um, however, as a person who is overcoming the challenges associated with legal blindness, I hope to teach others to be a strong leader through example and community involvement. I want to help those who are uncomfortable or unfamiliar with this realizing the capabilities of those with disabilities. Though my, through my leadership, I hope to play a pivotal role in breaking down the barriers faced by those living with a disability. As another goal, I aspire to affect the world by combining assistive technology and tablets with the power of artificial intelligence in a way that is effective and affordable. I plan to use the money awarded to purchase more assistive technology to help aid me throughout my college courses, as well as an Audible subscription to allow me to access the class material. Oh, thank you so much, JT. And, you know, if we were in person, we could all give a round of applause to this wonderful, deserving student. But since we can't do that in person, just know, JT, that we are so glad to have you as an outstanding representative of what a young person who is blind or visually impaired can do. And thank you so much for coming this evening and hope you'll be able to stay for the rest of the tonight's festivities. Yes, and thank you. Thank you, Suzanne. Thank you, JT. Congratulations. Up next, we're going to have the PCB Awards. And 
Bringing them to us is William Grignan, a member of the PCB Board of Directors. Thank you, Sue. Hey, I didn't hear beer in that list of uh, things he's going to buy, but maybe that's just me, but anyway. Um, I'd like to take this uh, opportunity to uh, thank my awards team, Marianne, Autumn, and the peers who nominated these four amazing awardees. Awards are PCB's way of recognizing individual accomplishment that inspire us and advance the goals of PCB. Indeed. Last night, I had the pleasure of presenting the Community Impact Award to Chris and JJ of Talk Description to Me. You can check them out at www.talkdescriptiontome.com. Tonight, we have more awards. And without further ado, I call on Jeanette Schmoyer to present the Reimage Award. Jeanette? It is my pleasure tonight to present the Reimage Leadership Award. Our winner of this award, a short time after starting to lose her eyesight, became totally blind. She was a young mother with a young son. And as she tells people, she felt lost. But after meeting peers with vision loss, she found the courage to face her challenge. This winter, Elizabeth Alexa, after four years of blindness, entered Cedar Crest College, and this spring she graduated with a degree in applied psychology. On campus, she began to become a role model and an inspirational speaker as she spoke to classes and organizations on campus about her personal journey and about the importance and the power of a positive attitude. I'm sorry. In the process of speaking to classmates, she began her journey in re-imaging the stereotype of blindness. While at Cedar Crest, she received numerous certificates in life coaching, and she began her own business in which she describes herself as a self-discovery advisor. And as she coaches people who are struggling, she helps them to find their purpose in life. When Liz was president of our Lehigh Valley chapter, she took us into the modern age of technology. And as former president, she continues to work on our website and our Facebook page to attract people so that they too can discover the journey that Liz has traveled. Liz has many talents and skills. And as she continues to live and 
go out and speak and work in the community, she continues to re-image the image of blindness. Liz, I hope you're here and listening. I am here. Congratulations. I am so proud. Thank you so much, Jeanette. And I, I'm speechless, um, and unbelievably deeply touched. I, um, I've been spending the last few weeks packing like a mad woman. Um, we are moving in a week and spent almost eight hours packing today and needed a break. So I decided to tune in. Um, not to expect this. And, uh, it has just been such an incredible journey to be on, truthfully. I, I would not go back to being sighted because I have found so much in the vision that I have created for myself since losing my physical sight. And it is an honor and a joy to be able to work with others to show them that anything is possible as long as you believe in yourself. So thank you to everyone for believing in me and for helping me to make this dream that I had become my reality. Thank you, Liz. Will? Thank you, indeed. Congratulations, Liz, and thank you, Jeanette. You have certainly um, helped change the image of how we see ourselves and how others see us. Thank you so much. You'll be receiving a plaque in the mail in the coming weeks um, commemorating this fine occasion. Thank you so much. Good job. Thank you. Next, we turn to the Anthony B. Swartz Peer Excellence Award, presented by none other than Anthony B. Swartz. Tony. Good evening. It is both humbling and an honor to present the Peer Excellence Award to this year's recipient because not only has our recipient met all the requirements of the award, having provided a long history of volunteer service to PCB events and projects, and demonstrated distinguished service regularly, going beyond the expectations in his service to PCB. That's surely the case. But our recipient has done so in a quiet, humble way, with humor, lots of humor, and never the expectation of recognition. Personally, our recipient has been a mentor, graciously having given me guidance and reassurance and covered my many errors and made me look better than I certainly deserve. And that's how our recipient treats every peer. So... I can't begin to tell you what a pleasure and honor it is to present the 2021 Peer Excellence Award to this most richly deserving of our peers and to such a great guy, liked and appreciated by all, Doug Hunsinger. Doug? I wish I had my boo uh, sound effects. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. I'm I'm just totally shocked. I'm sorry my voice sounds the way it does. I've been shouting at a uh, 
parliamentarian all afternoon. <laughs> but anyway. I saw you in action. <laughs> thank you very much. This is such an honor. And, um, you know, we've been doing this since 2005. That's when we streamed our first convention. So um, I want to thank everybody for all the help they've given me. You know, um, Ed Facemeyer was there when I needed him at the live conventions, and so was Dick Schmoyer. And so were all of you to uh, help out wherever you could, and I so much appreciate it. Thank you very much. So, Doug, before I play another tribute to you, how about if I read your plaque? Okay. Okay. Sure. The Pennsylvania Council of the Blind Peer Network for All Impacted by Vision Loss presents this 2021 Anthony B. Swartz Peer Excellence Award to Douglas Hunsinger. Doug has humbly given to PCB his talent as a sound engineer, his time at countless conferences, and his tireless energy without expectation of recognition year after year. His essential contributions as PCB's sound and audio guru have allowed our organization and its mission to reach those with vision loss throughout the state, across our country, and around the world. Doug is patient and dedicated to making the voice of PCB as professional and far-reaching as possible. Since 2005, Doug has participated in our conference and convention, working long hours to manage all aspects of PCB's audio image, memorializing this event far into the future for all those with vision loss. Presented on September 18th, 2021, at the 86th Annual PCB Conference and Convention. And now, Doug, uh, no good deed goes unrewarded. So Doug's voice on radio, he is known as DJ Doug. Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, yes. And so uh, Doug... Uh, really gave me a, a, a break uh, as I was um, retired and I wanted to get into doing um, some radio work and so forth. And so uh, Doug worked for the legend and ACB radio and did his shows as DJ Doug. So uh, I cut a few spots for him and then I was goofing around and I made one and Doug said, oh, no, 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 that, that's not me. That's not me. Well, tonight it is. Oh, ladies, look who's here. It's DJ Doug. Some guys got it, and some guys don't. DJ Doug. Doug, you got it. <laughs> I'm still looking for it. <laughs> Congratulations, Doug. Thank you. Thank you ever so much, folks. And please put me in the background again, if you would. (laughs) No. (laughs) Congratulations, Doug. Well, well deserved. Thank you, Tony. Um, Sue, do we want to do the final award right now? Um, Yes, that's fine. Okay. Doug, you're, um, 
your spotlight as a, an awardee is short-lived. Uh, we're going to turn back to you, and you're going to put on your presenter hat. Our last award is the John A. Horst Champion of Independence Award. And tonight we uh, have the honor of Doug Hunsinger presenting this prestigious award. Doug, take it away. I don't have a written script. I just want to talk from the heart about this. I'm presenting the John A. Horse Champion of Independence Award tonight, and this person certainly is a champion of independence. First, here is the criteria for that award. Criteria for the John A. Horst Champion of Independence Award. The award will be given to an individual who has performed at least 20 years of professional service in the fields related to the rehabilitation or the education of people who are blind or visually impaired, or dedicated more than 20 years of service to collective advocacy and public awareness efforts that promote independence and opportunity for people with blindness or vision loss, and the individual service contributions must be well recognized in the community in which they live or throughout the state or nation as significant to the betterment of the lives of those with vision loss. And I must tell you that even famous people talk about this individual. If you remember world-famous radio man Fred Foy, this is what he had to say about our awardee. Nowhere in the pages of history can one find a greater champion of justice. So, <laughs> so uh, there you go. I could focus on this person's awards because he's received and deserved many. But what I want to focus on is how he has strengthened communities, especially the blindness community, through media. At the age of four, he started calling his local radio station's talk show. As a blind person, and little did he know then that he was advocating for us all, showing people that we're no different than anybody else. From there, he later formed a radio station. It was a news station that consisted of all blind staff because, again, he wanted to show the world that we are capable and we're as capable as anyone else. As you know, probably by now who I'm talking about, he started ACB Radio. And look how ACB Radio has grown since then. Many of the foundations of ACB Radio that he submitted, and firm, or I can't say the right word, but anyway, you know what I'm saying. Many of the foundations that he started are still in place now. And uh, we're much appreciative of that. Um, excuse me one second. Somebody just texted me and it interrupted my thoughts. <laughs> anyway, um, as I said, he started ACB Radio. He's also done blogs where blindness and other disability issues are focused upon. He's worked for companies like Freedom Scientific, Pulse Data, which is now Humanware, 
and more. And he's been published in articles in Access World and other magazines. I give you the John A. Horst Award nom, uh, winner. It's Jonathan Mosen. Congratulations, Jonathan. It's probably not a good thing when your soon-to-be banquet speaker is speechless. <laughs> I am totally surprised. I, I did not know about this. I wasn't expecting it. Thank you so much. It truly is an honor. And it's been a privilege to uh, have been able to serve ACB uh, and others. And to be recognized like this means an awful lot. So thank you so much. I really appreciate that. I won't say too much now because I have an awful lot to say shortly. But from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much. And thank you, Doug, because you and I have worked together yes. on various projects. That and uh, it's appropriate you ended up where you did because you're a legend too. So <laughs> I, I really That's a laugh too, but that's another yeah. story. <laughs> um, Jonathan, you will get a plaque that's in Braille with a capital B. And, <laughs> and this is what the plaque says. The Pennsylvania Council of the Blind, a peer network for all impacted by vision loss, presents this 2021 John A. Horst Champion of Independence Award to Jonathan Mosen, an advocate and media influencer from childhood. Jonathan has served persons with vision loss in his native New Zealand and around the world through his academic work, nonprofit leadership, adaptive technology innovations, commercial success, governmental positions, and numerous speaking engagements where he has been a strong voice for awareness, change, and the dignity and competency of persons with disabilities. Jonathan is truly a champion who embodies the best in service to collective advocacy and public awareness efforts that promote independence and opportunity for people with blindness or vision loss. Presented on September 18th, 2021, at the 86th Annual PCB Conference. And it was an honor, indeed, to present this award to you, Jonathan. Thank you for all you do for all of us. Oh, gosh, the honor is truly mine. I will cherish that plaque. Thank you so much to everybody at PCB for this. I appreciate it. Back to you, Sue. Jonathan, Welcome. Welcome. Thank you, Congratulations. We are actually ahead of schedule. Um, and so if you are ready, we would love to hear from you. Jonathan Mosen, advocate, uh, all that stuff that Doug just said. I mean, you're amazing. I love your podcasts. Um, I, I just, you're amazing. You're amazing. And I'm sure that we'll think you're more amazing once we hear from you. So welcome to PCB, and um, take it away. Thank you, Sue. Thanks for the warm introduction. It's truly an honor to have been asked to be your banquet speaker this evening. I hope everybody has many tasty morsels at home. Thank you so much for the invitation. I have very fond memories of ACB from my time as being director of ACB Radio, and many of my fondest memories of that time are streaming national conventions to the world. And making that happen gave me a Pennsylvania connection since I became part of a sound team that included Mike Duke and, of course, Jay Doudna. They'd been doing their magic with the sound at conventions for quite a few years before, came, before I came on the scene, and they welcomed me warmly. We had some great times at those conventions. When Sue asked me to speak 
tonight. She told me that the theme for this year's convention is strengthening community through unity. I think this is a wonderful theme. When we talk of a community in a blindness context, what do we mean? I gave this a lot of thought as computers and online technologies became more widespread in the 1990s. Actually, I first went online in 1986. For most of us, online back then meant dialing into a bulletin board, often run by a local geek or a computer club. Most bulletin boards only had one phone line. Highly successful bulletin boards might have a second line, but making that work was really complex on the DOS computers that most of them were running on back then because DOS wasn't designed to multitask. So when you were connected to a bulletin board, in most cases, no one else could be. I got into running a bulletin board like this myself. I guess it's a fault of mine. I like to find out how these things work and have a play with them. And that first bulletin board was called the Out of Sight BBS. And I decided to run it part-time on my parents' home phone line from 9.30 p.m. until 6.30 a.m. Bad, bad move on my part. The bulletin board phone number, which was also, of course, our home phone number, soon got published on lists of bulletin board systems that would be circulated within the small circle of geeks who were doing this sort of thing back in the 80s. Now, it is true to say that most people don't read documentation fully now, and they certainly didn't read documentation then either. So they would skip the bit that said that the bulletin board was only available part-time and would have their modems dial the phone line at all hours of the day. My parents were not impressed to have the phone ringing constantly, only to pick it up and find there was no human on the other end. Eventually, I did get my own phone line for the bulletin board so it could operate 24-7. Most of us didn't have access to the Internet in those early days. It was reserved for academic and military use, and there were no commercial services on it at all. So it was natural that those of us who were running these bulletin board systems wanted to find a way to network them. One of the most popular ways of doing that was a thing called FidoNet. Now, I won't bore you with the details of how this worked, but it involved many nodes with dial-up modems, and a lot could go wrong. It could take a day or two for uh, an email message to go from one side of the world to the other. Through FidoNet in the 1980s, I first started to communicate with blind people in the United States and indeed around the world. And there is a very important Pennsylvania connection here too. One of the most successful and influential bulletin boards of the time was run from Pittsburgh by a man named Willie Wilson, and it was called Blinklink. He also ran a popular FidoNet Echo. Think of FidoNet Echoes as a bit like the forerunner to email lists or Facebook groups. Willie uh, deserves an enormous amount of credit for being one of the true pioneers in the online blind community. And I was sad when I Googled him to find that there is very little online about him and his contribution. Sometimes I would call, call Willie's BBS directly. The only way that you could do that was to make an international long-distance call, which was super expensive and not particularly reliable. But I did it because I felt this sense of connection, that despite being on the other side of the world, 
Here were people who had answers to some of the questions and the doubts that I had as a young guy in my late teens. I felt that these people were my people. I felt a sense of community. Gradually, the internet became more widely available. Technologies like listservs made it easier to have more rapid conversations. The World Wide Web was invented, and being online started to go mainstream, extending beyond the computer hobbyists. Even more blind people were around the world connected to the internet and connected with each other as well. I started running email lists in the hope that I could give something back to the community that others who may be looking for answers or connection or companionship with other blind people could join together. Technological innovation never stops, and I will never forget the first time in 1995 that I heard my first internet stream. It was an NPR newscast over my dial-up modem. But for me, the big breakthrough came when my then wife and our children went on vacation and left me at home, ostensibly to finish my master's thesis at the end of 1998. And then Nullsoft, a company that made popular MP3 software called Winamp, which some of us still use, released new democratizing internet broadcasting technology called Shoutcast. The way it worked with Winamp meant that it was particularly attractive to screen reader users. Within half an hour of having read about Shoutcast, I had my first test stream online of the low-power FM station I was running, which was already using Winamp as, it means of, as, its, as its means of playing music. I think it's fair to say that my break from writing my thesis was much longer than I was anticipating or than it should have been. This technology inspired me to try to start a global internet radio station for blind people. Radio has always thrived in communities. Some radio stations cater to distinct geographical communities, and they focus on local things of interest to that community. Others focus on communities of culture or religion. But I thought, why can't we have a global internet radio station that would be something that blind people could call our place? This idea started in the form of a concept I called the Here Today Network, H-E-A-R Today Network. The idea was that a group of blind people would get together to start a radio station on the internet where listeners could interact via email and instant messaging software. Rather than a bunch of people just doing their own thing, the station would be united by common jingles, promo messages, and a vision for what the station should sound like. We were able to do some test broadcasts under the Here Today brand, and that is thanks to yet another Pennsylvania connection. Mark Sank, who had access to a big T1, which was a big thing in those days, uh, let us use it during some weekends. The response to those broadcasts showed me that my hunch was correct. There was a real interest in the concept of the blind community having a radio station of our own. While for various reasons I wasn't successful in getting the Here Today concept off the ground, I did start my own global talk show called Blindline. It was specifically for the blind community. And these days, having people call in from around the world could be as simple as using something like Zoom. But it was much more complex then. In fact, many people even placed international phone calls to New Zealand 
just to be a part of it. We also used a thing called buggy phone, and I remember it was terribly complex to set up, and so it got, it got nicknamed buggy phone. The idea that we could talk about common interests, common struggles, and common solutions is what brought us together. For the first time, the internet could bring us together globally so we could share those experiences and tips. We already had email lists, of course, but there was something more personal about hearing the voices of contributors, and thus BlindLine was born. Word of BlindLine spread rapidly, and it became enormously popular in a very short time. Then one day I received an email from Chris Gray, who was on the board of the American Council of the Blind. Chris told me that ACB was considering establishing an internet radio station. Would I, he asked, be a consultant to them and talk them through what was involved in getting it all set up? I told him I'd be really happy to help in any way that I could. Separate from this, and this is where serendipity comes in, as president of New Zealand's consumer organization, I invited then ACB president Paul Edwards to come to New Zealand and be the guest speaker at our conference. Paul stayed on with my then wife and me for a while, during which time I felt that due to a conflict between the blind community and the blindness agency, it was necessary for me to resign my senior management position at the blindness agency. When I got home from a tense meeting at which I had resigned, I was certainly not expecting what Paul said in response to my big news. I've been careful not to try and influence you while you were making up your mind, he said, but um, now that you have, why don't you manage ACB radio for us? Well, I thought I would find another job eventually, but I certainly didn't expect to be offered one within an hour of resigning from the last one. But I didn't say yes immediately. I wanted to be sure that my vision for what a blindness internet radio station would be like mirrored what ACB had in mind. Critical for me was editorial independence. If ACB were to run an internet radio station, I wanted to be sure it would be run like the BBC or indeed our own public broadcaster, Radio New Zealand. Under that model, the government funds the organisation, but it does so mindful that it cannot exert any pressure on the nature of programming. Paul gave me a good education on the principles at the core of ACB's very existence. I learned about the Board of Publications and how ACB publications were constitutionally at arm's length from the President and Board of the Day, precisely to guard against interference with editorial independence. Paul assured me that he would welcome lively debates on blindness issues and that open communication would foster better understanding. So, I was in. Now, that discussion happened on the 15th of October, 1999. I think that's a very auspicious day for it to have happened because, as you may know, it was International White Cane Safety Day. And by the 1st of December, ACB Radio was on the air, so we worked at a great clip. We wrote the book on how to do a project like this because, at the time, there really were no other projects like ACB Radio. Not only did we build up a large, multinational and very precious community of listeners, I think we peaked at 70 countries while I was at ACB Radio, we took a very inclusive approach to, non, uh, to on-air participation. Blind people who found this stuff intuitive patiently mentored those who did not. 
The reverse was also true because internally ACB Radio was a rich knowledge exchange. Those who had professional broadcasting experience but not the comfort level with the computer technology taught those with computer skills but not radio skills aspects of the craft of broadcasting. ACB Radio broadened people's horizons, equipped people with new skills, and improved people's confidence. That is a great credit to the many people who worked so hard on it and volunteered their time so generously. I am pleased to say that these days there are, of course, many ways for blind people to gather virtually together as a community. We are all so connected now. Yet for all of its power to do good, it seems like technology is dividing us most of the time, not uniting us. I've discussed the concept of community, the first part of this year's convention theme, in a blindness context. But what does unity mean in a blindness context? When I think of strengthening community through unity, I don't for a moment think that we should all think the same way. Not only is that entirely unrealistic, but it would also make for a pretty boring world. Unity is not the same as uniformity. So if we accept that there is a community around blindness, something which I firmly do believe, then what does unity look like? As I thought about this topic, I realized that this catchy phrase, strengthening community through unity, is precisely what I'm trying to do with my podcast, Mosin at Large. The blind community is a microcosm of the community as a whole. And I'm sad to say, too many of us use the powerful technology that we now have at our disposal to cause deliberate harm, to launch cowardly, vitriolic attacks on people in a manner we would never consider if we were actually in the same room. Too many of us are quick to label, deride, and dismiss people who support a different political party from us, who are a different color from us, who worship differently from us or don't worship at all, people who are super blinks and people who are blind losers, blind people who have a job and are elitist or unemployed blind people who are mooching off the government, people who are members of another blindness advocacy organization those who use JAWS and those who use NVDA, the list of categories we can assign to people in order to classify them, invalidate them, or alienate them is endless. For those who haven't heard the Mosin at Large podcast, my aim is to try to create a sanctuary from that kind of thinking, from the bitter divisions that now seem so common. I seek to create an environment where we can disagree without being disagreeable. We have discussed a range of contentious topics in a respectful way. And if a listener attacks the individual rather than addresses the issue, then the contribution simply doesn't get played. Unity in a blindness context, in my view, does not mean embracing one philosophy of blindness, that there is only one valid way to be blind, and that anyone who doesn't subscribe to that view is somehow deficient as a blind person Recently, we have had a lively discussion on Mosin at Large about the concept of blind pride. This is something so ingrained in my DNA that when I made a passing reference to the fact that I was proud to be blind, it didn't even occur to me that it might be controversial. 
I think this is an example of how some of us are so attuned to our own worldview that we may forget that it might appear radical or even incomprehensible to somebody else. A listener challenged me on the concept of blind pride and asked me how I could possibly be proud of such a disruptive, debilitating condition. I thought about it for a long time and constructed a lengthy response, and I'd like to read that for you now. This is what I replied. I am profoundly proud to be blind. I am proud of the fact that as a kid, when my older siblings would have been found out for reading at night, I read in the dark as much as I liked a Braille book tucked under the covers on winter nights. I am proud to be blind because it connects me with a proud history. I share a characteristic with a man who gave us the priceless gift of functional, effective, efficient literacy. Louis Braille was an example of nothing about us without us in the 19th century, long before we used that phrase. His genius invention derided by sighted people who were certain they knew what was best for us. He was ridiculed, his code was driven underground, and his books were burned. But he prevailed because he was blind. He devised his code for himself. He gave it at considerable personal cost to all of us. I am proud to be blind because of all the other blind people who followed in Louis Braille's footsteps. Blind people innovating and inventing for our collective advancement, imagining a better future and making it real. Whether it be Larry Scootcon with his methodical mind and interminable patience, or Ted Henter with his zeal and entrepreneurship, or David Kostashin and Glenn Gordon who believed that Windows could be truly usable and then made it come true, or the blind people now working on the inside of mainstream companies who are our champions, we dreamed it, we created it. I am proud to be blind because blind people are the reason the 33 RPM record was developed, initially so talking books could be distributed more efficiently. And speaking of talking books, I am proud to be blind <clears throat> because blind people are the reason talking books exist. Now, sighted people are using them too. I am proud to be blind I'll just clear my throat for a second. Just give me a sec. I am proud to be blind because the original reading machine was created for us. We started the journey of digitizing printed text that resulted in the scanners that are still commonplace in offices today. I am proud to be blind because long before the term PDA was in the lexicon of sighted people, we were taking notes, keeping track of appointments, and reading books on devices like Keynotes and Braille and Speaks. I am proud to be blind because we were one of the reasons that computers started to talk. Technology is better because of blind people. There are so many examples of technology when we proudly have been the blind who led the sighted. I am proud to be blind because I am not influenced by someone's physical appearance, but instead gain information from the tone of a voice and the words that are said. I am proud to be blind because it has made me a more lateral thinker, developing 
and refining alternative techniques to access a wide range of information so I can thrive in a largely sight-dependent world. I am proud to be blind because even though my other senses aren't sharper than anyone else's, in fact, I have a dual sensory loss, like many blind people, I use them well. It makes me smile when I can tell what type of audio processor is being used on a radio station, or when another blind person can tell the kind of car that's passing by simply by the sound it's making, or when a blind person gives another blind person an instruction like, when your cane hits a pole on my street that emits a fifth octave A flat, you're outside my house. I am proud to be blind because of the legacy of great blind civil rights leaders around the world. Often ostracized and branded radical troublemakers, they confronted and are still confronting today the tyranny of low expectations and the disabling decisions society has chosen to make. They challenged the damaging, fundamentally flawed notion that we had neither the ability nor the right to achieve self-determination, that it wasn't necessary for society to be accessible or inclusive or accepting. Their belief in a fairer tomorrow unshackled us from institutions and shattered disempowering paternalism. Their tenacity has seen the increasing availability of better training, much of it driven by blind people ourselves, and increased opportunity through civil rights legislation. I am proud to be blind because, as a subset of the world's largest minority, disabled people, Blind people led the way in the disability movement, securing legislative, vic securing legislative victories long before they were common for much of the rest of the sector. I am grateful every day of my life for those blind people who took on those difficult cases, displayed tenacity, and stated their cases again and again and again until progress was slowly but surely made. I am proud of the personal responsibility I feel as a blind person to always cherish and defend, never take for granted, and constantly build upon the legacy of civil rights victories that I have inherited and benefited from. I am mindful that they must not be squandered, and I am proud to stand up, be counted, and do my moral duty to advance that legacy so that the next generation has even more opportunity than I have had. I am proud to be blind because it has shaped who I am. It is part of my identity, and it has helped define me. I accept that. I embrace that. I am proud to be blind because in being blind, I contribute to the rich tapestry and the diversity of humankind. I am proud to be blind because no matter how many negative signals are sent, I know that being blind makes me no less a person of worth. I am proud to be blind because the opposite of pride is shame, and my blindness is nothing to be ashamed of. I am proud to be blind and therefore share a characteristic with talented people from all walks of life. Blind people are parents, devoted, loving parents, some of whom have had their babies literally snatched from their loving arms, an atrocity no capable and loving parent should endure and all for no other reason than people gathering and getting it horribly wrong about blindness. I am proud that we as blind people show those parents love, solidarity, and a steadfast determination to get those children back where they belong.
Blind people are in factories and farms, law practices and legislatures, sandwich shops and startups. I am proud of the blind teachers, software developers, business people, mechanics, transcribers, musicians, and even medical doctors. There is very little we can't do, and there are few professions where you can't find a blind person, often to many people's surprise. The only trouble is the world doesn't necessarily know that, and that's the biggest reason I am proud to be blind. Because every day, just by getting on with my life, I defy the odds in a disabling society. We defy expectations where there is little disability confidence. When people tell us we can't, we show them, yes, we can. It can be exhausting sometimes. We may get knocked down, and sometimes we may feel like we're out for the count. But eventually, most of us get up again. We apply for that one more job. We work around that inaccessible website. We keep calm and carry on when we're treated like a helpless child in the street or when walking into a store or when yet another rideshare driver declines to take our guide dog. That takes guts. It takes tenacity. The odds are stacked against us, but we march on. We make progress. Go us. Yes, I am proud, proud, a thousand times proud to be blind. After I made those comments on the Mosin at Large podcast and also published them on my blog by popular request, reactions were mixed. Some found them profoundly empowering and encouraging. Others thought I must be fabricating my blind pride since such a concept was so far outside their comfort zone. Others said that you can't be proud of something you haven't accomplished yourself. I don't agree with that. I am proud to be a New Zealander, and I'm sure many people here are proud to be American. I didn't have a direct hand in that. I am proud of things that my children do. But the most interesting thing of all was that people assumed that because I said I was proud to be blind, I was saying that everyone should be proud to be blind. I don't think that for a moment. We are all products of our environment and our unique experiences and circumstances. Those people who, for example, have experienced degenerative sight loss and have had to cope with their sight insidiously slipping away over a long period will have a very different experience from someone like me who was born blind. Although through the Mosin at Large podcast, I do know someone who is adventitiously blind who also experiences a sense of blind pride. Someone who becomes blind in a split second as a result of an accident, is a very different and complex journey from mine. So if there is all this difference, then is unity even a viable option? I am certain that it is. To me, unity starts with tolerance. Unity is about accepting that just because someone doesn't think the way you do, that doesn't make them an inherently bad, deficient, or inferior person. There is plenty that unites us as a blind community. In New Zealand, we talk of disabled people, not people with disabilities. And the reason why we do that is very important. We have embraced the social model of disability. The social model believes that we are disabled by a society that hasn't constructed itself in a way that can be enabling or inclusive. 
So when we talk about people with disabilities, we would say, well, that's actually blaming the individual and an impairment is not an individual's fault. I'm the chief executive of a national agency in New Zealand, and I sometimes talk to employers and policymakers and others about the social model of disability. And when I explain it, I give this example. Let's say that you walk into my office building at 2 a.m. It's completely dark, and a colleague is with me who is fully sighted. The night is cloudy, and there is a power outage. So even the street lights are out. Out of the two of us, the sighted colleague or me, which would be the disabled one at that point? The answer, of course, is very clear. It's the sighted person because they have not had their light dependence accommodated. At that moment, they are the disabled person. So as a community, we are united by our quest to create a less disabling society. When a child can't thrive because they're not given the literacy instruction, that's a fundamental human right. Our strong community must unite to give that child a chance. When a capable blind person is turned down for a job, not because of their blindness, but because of an employer's misunderstandings about the impact of blindness, our strong community must unite to educate and inform. When someone simply can't go about their business and shop online, either because of an accessibility barrier on the website or because they can't afford the technology that could significantly lessen the disabling consequences of blindness, our strong community must unite for a more inclusive digital domain. There are many examples like this, and these things are true for us all, no matter how you made it into our community, who you love, who you worship, what screen reader you use, or whether you have a job at the moment. We all want opportunity. And so perhaps I would extend the theme and say that as advocates, our mission is strengthening community through unity by creating opportunity. One thing I know for sure is that we are most certainly stronger together. I wish you well over your important work in the next 12 months, and I thank you very much for the opportunity to be here tonight, and once again for the award. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jonathan. Um, are you willing to stick around for some questions? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Okay. So if anyone's got a question for Jonathan, please raise your hand. Jonathan, this is Doug Hunsinger. Uh, you mentioned Mark Sank and uh, borrowing space from him. I must tell you that in about 1998 or so, he put up a real audio server and <laughs> I transmitted on that thing and got response from Australia and a couple of other places. What a kick that was. <laughs> yes, I remember he had a really cool domain. It was like real something. I forget what it was, but it was a very catchy domain. It's probably worth a fortune now. Yeah. Yeah. Great days. He was actually at our conference earlier today. Maybe he's Right. <laughs> Are there any hands? Yeah, Carla. I just want to tell you, Jonathan, that is one of the most inspiring speeches that I have ever heard. And I saw your remarks on an email list too. Um, and I, um, 
I, I just think that was so inspiring. And I just want to say, you took me back to the 80s. I remember in 1987 when I had a VersaBraille. I don't know how many of you remember that. Oh, and gosh. It, they, they clunked along, didn't they? Because they were cassette-based. So well, when you wanted one, to get to the document you wanted, you would dial it up on the little thing, and it would shudder and shake, and you thought the thing was going to rip itself apart before you got your document. Yeah, I actually had a, a later incarnation. It was the VersaBraille that had the oh. disk drive. But With, anyhow, oh, yeah, the I floppy remember, disks. Yeah. Yes, the floppy disks. And I yeah. remember um, there was um, Willie Wilson, and then there was the Stu Turk um, website, you know, bulletin board. I don't know if you remember Stu Turk. He was he was um, blind, deaf blind. But I, I do have I have a question I wanted to ask you. Um, why is it that so many people are are hostile about about blind about the word blind? I do not understand it. There are so many organizations that avoid it. They just say sight loss, and they just they just skip around the word. And I remember um, back in the nineties, I wrote an article, and I. I, I submitted it um, in the I, the words of encouragement column of the Ivy Motivator, and it was okay there. But then I submitted it to the Braille Forum, and it, the article was called "Are You Advantageously Blind Instead of Advantageously?" <laughs> and I enumerated several advantages of being blind from birth, um, things like being able if you could trick a cable box into playing the audio from channels that you couldn't get or, you know, just just different advantages for being blind, like being able to read Braille in the dark and everything. And actually, I got so many hostile responses from that article that I wrote. I couldn't believe it that, you know, that people's, you know, that people were just, they, they you know, they were just so hostile and this was tongue in cheek and I was trying to be positive and, and the miss and not being able to use the word blind. It's like blind is a swear word in so many places. And I'm sorry, but I'm blind. I'm blonde and I'm blind. I mean, <laughs> so I can understand if somebody just goes blind and, um, and they, and they don't want to be called blind. But what about those who are blind since birth and were not allowed to use an adjective that describes our identity? I just, I just want your comment. Thank you, Carla. Let's give them a chance when people, to answer. <laughs> when people talk about people with sight loss, when organizations do this, I don't feel that applies to me. I feel it excludes me because I've never lost my sight. I've never had any sight to lose. Um, I could wax lyrically about a kind of a makeshift parable here about a squatter who moves into your house and the squatter takes so much time, you know, makes himself at home, ruins your furniture, that you decide, oh, okay, I'm going to abandon this house. That's what's happened with blindness. What's happened with the word blind is that we have allowed to go unchallenged pejorative uses of the term. So... You often hear about people being blindsided. You often hear people being blind about an issue. So in the media, it's very widespread that the word blind is now used as a synonym for ignorance, unawareness, stupidity. You hear it all the time. When you really start to tune yourself into this, it is incredible. So they are the squatters. They have come along and hijacked the word blind. So what that does is a lot of damage because when people uh, perhaps become blind due to a degenerative vision loss or a sudden accident, 
they have been bombarded with a lifetime of negative use of the term blind. And I think agencies are in a quandary about this because they know this. They think that blind has terribly negative connotations because of all of this language that has been used over the years. So they have moved out and left the squatters in, in there instead using blindness in a pejorative term. I don't think that's the right answer. I think the right answer is to proudly take the word blind back and taking the media on and saying, stop using the word blind as a synonym for stupid and ignorant. And I, that's the approach that I personally take. All right. Anyone else with a question? Yeah, phone number, uh, area code 724, ending in 507, please. Oh, boy, this is like Larry King. Yeah, okay. 724, hello. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hi, Jonathan Mosen. My name is October Law, and like you, I am totally blind. I've never had it because of too much oxygen. And I have a question for you. Did you ever have a concept that you found out later was not true? For example, when they sing the song, His Yoke is Easy from Handel's Messiah, the only yoke I knew of was Y-O-L-K. <laughs> so I couldn't imagine somebody opening an egg yolk and pouring it all over their clothing until someone actually showed me a big, long piece of wood that you put on your back, Y-O-K-E. But I always thought the yolk was egg yolk, and I thought, how can that be hard unless you boil an egg? <laughs> exactly. What a, what, a, what a foul concept. Uh, I'll stop. Um, Do you have a question, I, I, October? Or was that a question? I, that was a question, I think. Have I, have, have I found a concept that, um, th- that I later found wasn't true? I can't immediately think of one. That's a good on-the-spot question. Um, but it is hilarious the way that words can sometimes um, convey different meanings. Actually, I do have a, a bit of an example that, for me, one of the funniest moments of managing ACB radio for me was... My then wife and I moved to a smaller town where the internet was still good, but the cost of living was much lower. And we got a custom-made studio built for my ACB radio work. And then I called the telephone company to get a couple of phone lines connected. And uh, we were doing the order, and she was chatting away, clicking away on the keyboard, and she was making small talk. And um, I was also doing a bit of consultancy work at that stage, in addition to ACB radio. And... She said to me while she was typing away, what does your company do, sir? And I said, well, we provide a range of technology services to blind people. And she stopped typing. And I could tell that something in her brain was sort of ticking over. And then she said, why would people want to buy technology services that blind them? (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Thank you for your question. And she was totally sighted, probably. <laughs> okay. October, can you hit star six, please? And is there another question out there? Yeah, JT, please. I actually was wondering, have you heard of red cap uh, braille learning floppy disk? Say again, sorry? Have you heard of the red cap braille series for floppy disk? I don't know if I have. Because I'm trying to archive a whole bunch of the old accessible floppy software. Right. Gosh, there's a lot of it about, wasn't there? Um, no, that doesn't ring a bell for me. You, right. you must be one of those retro people who are collecting all sorts of old things. My son's into this. He um, stole half my vinyl collection and thought that he'd found buried treasure. <laughs> it was probably just an old audio book, right? 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, for me, like the learning, it's really cool. Learn how we used to learn how to braille and things in that era. I'm so pleased to hear that you're taking, in all seriousness, that you're taking an interest in this because I think our history is really important. Um, and I'm probably at the age now where I'm getting old and saying, you know, back in my day. But, you know, I keep a gratitude journal. One of the things I've done in recent years is uh, adopt a meditation practice. And as part of that, I keep a gratitude journal where I write down things that I'm grateful for. And that helps me in the difficult times. And I think, you know, if as a child, if my future self could have come back to me and said, there will come a time when you'll have this device in your pocket where you'll be able to communicate for as long as you want with anybody around the world where you can just ask pretty much for any song ever recorded and you will have a studio in your house where you'll be heard by an international audience, I would have thought that would be fanciful science fiction. So I think the journey, how we got there, is a really important thing to chronicle. So well done for thinking about those things. And that's why I was just trying to see if I could obtain any of the software because... um, I've obtained some of it. Unfortunately, a lot of it has suffered from not being stored properly. Yes. Yeah, that's the trouble with mechanical media, whether it be cassettes or digital media or anything like that. It degrades over time. Now, this, it shows the floppy disk hasn't degraded, but it won't read. Right, okay. Yeah, so that's another problem, too, is just compatibility, right? (laughs) Yeah. Um, no, so what I'm trying to say is, like, the way a person stored it, they must have stored it in your magnet. Oh. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, you put it out there on ACB radio, so maybe someone has it now. Maybe. And will contact us. Yeah. Thanks, JT. Yep. Any more questions for Jonathan? Uh, Ann, please. Uh, Jonathan, I really appreciate all the uh, words that you uh, spoke earlier. And I, this summer, I taught a course at Salus University on assistive technology um, for blind and visually impaired. And it was really fascinating article I came across in uh, AFB, uh, Access World, when I was just doing some you know, background research. And it was on the history of uh, some of the pioneers in assistive technology. And the article was dated uh, then in 19, yeah, excuse me, 2007. And I thought it was fascinating because they end up coming at the end with predictions of the future. And it's very similar to what you just said. What would you think about having a, essentially the power of a computer in your pocket? And mm. everyone was like, oh, yeah, right. That's not going to happen. Some of the things that they predicted did come true. Some of them took it morphed to a different direction. But it, the fact that the you know, so many innovations have come about in technology as a result of people that took a chance um, and that we're blind that did this. And so I applaud you for all the work you've done over the many years. And I've always appreciated any, all the uh, broadcasts and podcasts. <laughs> I'm a follower, so <laughs> it's, it's well, nice thank to hear you. you in person. Uh, thank you. I really appreciate that. Yeah, it's uh, the, the history stuff is fascinating. And actually, when Blind Line started, it was an opportunity for me to interview people like Doug Joffrey and Ted Hinter. Mm-hmm. I think they were my first two interviews yeah. on Blind Line. Uh, the audio quality was terrible back then because <laughs> we didn't have a lot of bandwidth. But those interviews are quite historic now because they're kind of a snapshot in time. And for me, uh, as a as a young guy in New Zealand, having the opportunity to talk to some of those legends who'd made the technology that I was using every day, 
It was a huge privilege, and um, I, I'm really glad I had the chance to do that 21 years ago. <laughs> Thank you. Jonathan, talk a little bit about Mushroom FM. Um, well, Mushroom FM was an accidental thing, which I, I started in 2010. Uh, I have been running a show for the last 20-odd years called The Mosin Explosion. Um, I decided to uh, put it on my own server, essentially, and just do my thing every week. And then when I tried to do that, a whole bunch of people said, hey, can we come too? And so we built Mushroom FM over seven days. It was an amazing, frenetic time. And people say, why is it called a really weird name like Mushroom <laughs> FM? Well, because it's the home of the fun guys. And I wanted to think of a name that, that illustrated that. That we w People volunteer so much of their time to do this internet radio thing. It has to be fun. It has to be interesting. So... We took a wee break uh, for a couple of years, but uh, other than that, it's been going since 2010. Uh, these days, we play music from the 50s through the 80s, and um, I like to think that the technology has come such a long way that if you listen to something like Mushroom FM and a number of other stations in the blindness space, you will get sound and production values of a quality that are as good as any regular commercial radio station. And for me, one of the big thrills of all of this has been to see a few people make it into commercial radio who got the radio bug through technology projects like this and then made a, a professional career out of it. So that's incredibly rewarding. Wanda, please. Hello, Jonathan. Um, Hi. I've written to you a couple of times, and I wanted to tell you I um, had been, um, as Julianne dubbed me, the Android queen for a number of years. Uh, taught <laughs> iOS, but also taught Android. And when I, back in November, abandoned it because of the frustrating lack of Braille support, and I'm basically one of those people that can't live without Braille, um, I really appreciate your help in some of the more complex things that I was trying to figure out. I knew all the basics, but there were some more complex things that I was trying to to figure out, and I... Thank you for, on your podcast, helping me to sort some of that out. Um, Thank you. Because you did that. But I wanted to ask a little bit more serious question about the social model of disability. Mm -hmm. um, first of all, I absolutely believe it. I absolutely believe that there's a lot more that society can do. But does that model exclude the medical profession from, does that say, okay, we're not going to try to cure things anymore. We're not going to try to find ways to make macular degeneration not happen or to prevent it from getting worse when it does. Are those two things exclusive or do you think they somehow exist together? Well, first of all, I'm really delighted the podcast's helped, and um, you might be able to return the favor, because I just bought an Android device to have a play. I, I didn't buy the iPhone this year, so um, it's, uh, it, it, it's quite an adventure. And I've got a new section on my podcast called Adventures in Android, where I'm chronicling this. Um, no, it's a really good question, and I would like to think not, because in, in saying that it's acceptable and even, even a matter of pride to be a member of the blind community, that doesn't mean that we should in any way um, discount the importance of preventing preventable blindness and continuing to do research. So in my situation, for example, if I were offered sight today, 
I doubt that I would accept it because I'm in my 50s now and um, this has been my life and I think it would just be too great an adjustment or this visual stimulus that I don't know what to do with. So I'd have to learn what all these the, the stimulus meant. On the other hand, though, I also wear hearing aids. And if there was research, that would mean that I could no longer have to rely on those hearing aids. I would walk over broken glass to take advantage of it. So, you know, in that regard, I understand how people with degenerative vision conditions feel about this. I think the two can go hand in hand. What we need to say is, of course, we need to invest, we need to research uh, anything we can do relating to mitigating an impairment or even preventing an impairment from happening. But if you get to the point where you become a person with a significant impairment, society, a fair society, a decent society, does have an obligation to accommodate you and make that impairment as least disabling as it possibly can. So the two work hand in hand. Okay, good. I'm I'm glad that that's. I, I would be a little bit troubled if it was the other way around. Like I know, oh yeah, the deaf community. They don't. They say parents shouldn't give babies cochlear implants if they were born deaf. Well, if I had a child who was born deaf, yes, I'm familiar with that debate. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's that's quite. I mean, uh, they the, the deaf community has a very strong sense of culture, and we've talked about this on the podcast as well. Whether a blind culture actually exists or whether it doesn't, um, so they consider, uh, you know, cochlear implants for children some sort of cultural misappropriation. That that that's uh, it's not. I guess it's not my place to comment on the deaf community's issues, but that that's one that I do find quite difficult to get my own head around. Okay, I will go. Back in my rabbit hole now. <laughs> but I'll keep in touch and I'll listen to your Android. And if I hear anything I can correct, I will happily do it. I, I would be most grateful. Thank you. Yeah, I, I was having a play with this last night and it's all very new and exciting and I'm quite enjoying the challenge, but I'm sure uh, I've got a lot to learn. So it's great. Bob, you're up. Hey, um just a quick comment on that last question. Um, there is something out there called... A, a, this is ghastly, but it's the uh, biopsychosocial model of right. disability, which sort of combines the social and the medical model, or seeks to combine them. Hmm. Um, I don't, I don't know how recent it's been. I, I came across it through the, uh, um, through some studying I've been doing recently, and uh, but it, it's that's sort of what that model seeks to do. And, they got to come up with a different name for it, but yeah, yeah. I appreciate that. There's a there's a lot of discussion now about disability disability models, and and it's it's very interesting um, for me. And obviously, the social model of disability, I admit, is actually quite simplistic in some ways. But it's such a reverse message from what we've typically been used to that when we bounce it off policymakers and you know, people who can make decisions, it's something that's simple enough for them to understand. And they understand that, for example, if if I go to a uh, set of traffic lights and those traffic lights are not accessible, then that's a conscious decision uh, to, to make me disabled about that information at that particular time. So they get it. It's something they can work with. One final question, maybe? Well, well thank I, you, Jonathan. Well, go ahead, Johnny. Wait a minute. Hand just popped up. Oh, I, that's Rick. Okay. That's always um, the way it goes. Oh, Tony's there. Yeah. I wasn't um, hearing things. So, John, Jonathan, 
you made me uh, you made me slap myself upside the head the other day. Oh, because um, you started the podcast off, and then you got into blindness, and I went, "Oh, but I I want to talk technology. I want I want," and I realized what I wanted John to do, uh, Jonathan to do, was talk about the toys instead of the harder issues. And uh, um, you've certainly been a mentor to us all and, and waking us up to issues that we really do need to think about as a community. And I really appreciate that. So uh, thanks for the slap in the head. <laughs> <laughs> it's very kind of you to say, because when I started Mosin at Large, I called it Mosin at Large for precisely that reason, that people perhaps want to put me in a particular box and it might be an assistive technology box or whatever, but actually I've also done a lot of legislative advocacy and various other things. And the technology is the means. It's not the end for me. Um, I have always liked technology because of the things it can help us do. Um, what difference does it make to someone's life? So if you look at technology in that context, then we do have to think about some of those wider social issues. So I try to get the balance right. Uh, and some for some people, Mosin at large will be, um, good at, in some episodes and not so good in others. You'll be pleased to know, though, that this episode that just got published a couple of hours ago is, I think, two and a half hours long, and it's all technology. So <laughs> we do mix it up a bit. Jonathan, thank you so very much. It's been a wonderful time having you here. Our members definitely appreciate your wisdom. Well, thank you so much for the invitation. And and for the award, which I'm really touched by. So I hope the remainder of the convention is, is successful. Thank you. You most definitely deserve that award. Thanks. Have a wonderful lunch. It's lunchtime in your part of the world, it, right? It, it is. It is. Well, thank you for joining us. It's a pleasure. Thank you for the invitation.